Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I talk about the market's overall valuation, from how to measure it to what it can and can't do to help you as an investor and how to think about the market's valuation level. We look at our market valuation tool and explore where there are pockets of relative value in today's mostly expensive, at least based on traditional measures, market. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion. All right, today we're going to talk about the market's overall valuation, sort of how one might look at different valuation metrics in the market, and then what some of the takeaways there might be for the investor. And then we'll try to end, I think, with where there's relative value in today's market. And Jack, this is largely based off an article you recently wrote where you sort of tackled um, these questions. So to start, I thought we could just talk about various ways and measures on how the market may be measured and the different types of the different types of calculations that can go into those things. And then we can get into some of the different indicators and, you know, what they're showing or or indicating today. Yeah. You know, you, when you look in the media or you watch CNBC, I mean, you see so many different numbers that talk to you about what, what is the market valuation right now? And so what we want to do is maybe take a step back and say, all right, what are the different ways you can measure the market and, and how can you calculate them? Because that's really important as well. And then also what value they can provide to investors. And then we'll sort of talk about, you know, where we are now, but start starting with what you asked about, starting with the measures. I mean, obviously one way you can value the market is you can use the standard value metrics you use to value companies. So you can use the PE ratio, the price to book, the price to cash flow. And, you know, if you look at our market valuation tool on Validia, which is free, by the way, it's a validia.com slash market dash valuation. Um, we do that. You know, we, we look at all the same metrics we would use to create a value composite and we look at the market on each one of those metrics. So that, that's one way you can do it. Um, another way, you know, you see things like the Buffett indicator out there, which is a total stock market to GDP. Um, you'll see that used out, um, you know, often in the media, although that's been very expensive for a long time, like a lot of these have been. Um, then an interesting one I just wanted to highlight is uh, O'Shaughnessy uh, Asset Management came out with one called Price to Integrated Equity, which I think is really interesting. Um, you know, you can sort of think about it as something similar to the price to book, but the price to book, you know, when, when companies are retaining earnings over the years, they're keeping those earnings in book value basically at the rate, you know, that they were put in. So it's not accounting for inflation in any way. And so what they did is they took all of those retained earnings flows over the years, they corrected each one individually for inflation, and they came up with this priced integrated equity. And they, and they actually found, we'll, we'll get into how market valuation data can be used to look at the future in a little while, but they found that that was better in terms of looking at long-term returns in the future than, than a more standard price to book. So, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, um, but th- those are sort of the main measures. And we're using within our tool the median data point, correct? Correct. So that is the uh, that's the other important thing here is not only is it what are you using, but it's also how are you calculating it. Um, so to start beyond what we're doing, so if I want to find out what the valuation of the S and P 500 is, what we're doing is not valuable because what what we're doing is a median. So what we're doing is ranking every single stock. It's, let's say we're using the PE ratio for example. We're ranking every single stock based on its PE ratio, and we're just picking the stock that's right in the middle, and that's sort of the median valuation. But that that's really good for sort of an equal weighted universe. That's the 
type of thing we do. As, as a manager, we don't care about the market cap of a company. We're investing, you know, using an equal weighted universe. We're, we're more than willing to select companies in any, you know, any market cap, and we're equally weighting them when we put them in. So a median can work well for us, but if, if I want to find out what the valuation of the overall market is, well, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world, their earnings or their valuations are much more important than the 500th company in the S&P 500. So what you want to do is if you're looking at the valuation of the market overall, you have to use a weighted average that takes more account, you know, takes the larger companies into account more. Um, and, and, you know, just another kind of technical point behind the scenes on that, which I think is, is important to keep in mind is you'll often see when people do that, um, they'll say, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to create the, I'm going to create the average valuation of the market. So let me take the PE ratio of every single stock in the market. Let me weight it based on its market cap. And that's my PE ratio of the market. The problem is that's, that's completely wrong. And the reason is because you have to use this thing called a harmonic PE and, and, or a harmonic mean, sorry. And what a harmonic mean is, is you basically have to take the inverse of all the PE ratios of every stock. So you have to take what would be considered the earnings yield, the, the opposite of the PE ratio, and you have to do a weighted average of those. And then the end result of that, you invert that and you get your market PE. So that's, that's more of a technical point, but it's important because you'll see, surprisingly enough, you will see a lot of people try to do it the other way. And what happens is when you do it the other way, the outliers will have too much of an impact. So the stock that has the PE, for instance, of 1,000 will have too much of an impact in driving up that average. Whereas when you use the harmonic PE, you get a more, you know, a more clear understanding of it. Yeah, I think one of the things that a lot of times investors get kind of hung up on is they see like an overvalued market and maybe we're even in one today and, you know, they think, well, that has to be, you know, the catalyst for, you know, the next downturn, let's say, um, or, you know, the market's going to crash because, you know, the market's at whatever pinged at its 99th percentile in terms of its, you know, PE multiple or the CAPE ratio or something. But I mean, one of the things that, you know, we've talked about um, and we know is that, you know, at least on a short-term basis, market valuation is not a good um, timing indicator. Markets can stay expensive for a lot longer than people think. Yeah, you know, so that, that gets into the question of what value is all of this. And, you know, I, I think, to be honest, the value to investors of all this stuff is, is very, very little. But what value it definitely is not is predicting anything over the short term. And when I say short term, I'm not meaning tomorrow or next month. I'm talking about even like one to three years. So the valuation of the market tells you effectively nothing about what's gonna happen in the next one to three years. And, and a good way to, to look at that is to go back to um, the bubble in two, the bubble that ended in 2000 and think about like 1997. So in 1997, we crossed a CAPE ratio for the market, which was the highest of all time. So before then, the highest CAPE ever on the market was 30. Um, and I, sometime in 1997, we crossed a CAPE of 30. So you would say, if, if I was gonna use valuation data to predict the market, I would say, all right, this is a crazy bubble. You know, I need to short this, I need to get out of the market. So the problem is, you know, we went on from 1997 till it finally popped in 2000 to produce 20 plus percent annual returns. And the CAPE ended at 45. So we got a, we got a 50% increase in the CAPE after it looked like the market was as expensive as it's ever been. And so that, that's just an example of why you can't use short-term data is it doesn't tell you anything or why you can't use it to predict the short-term because it doesn't tell you anything about what's going to happen, you know, in short periods where, where it does add some value is when you start thinking about long-term expected returns. And so if, if you think, you know, if you have a very, very expensive market, as we do now, we can say, all right, over the next 10 years, the odds are whatever the historical average return of the market has been, I'm going to get less than that because I'm probably going to get some, some compression in that PE ratio. So it, it can be somewhat helpful for things like retirement planning, where you're trying to plan, you know, over the next 10 years, what might my return be, but it offers no value in terms of what's happening in the next, say, one to three years. 
Um, a couple things on that. I think one of the uh, things to think about is, you know, when you have a expensive market and you're talking about potentially lower expected future returns, um, it's the market very rarely returns, you know, six, seven, eight percent. It's usually something like, you know, up 25 percent, maybe down 10 percent up. So a lot of times these like one of the things I'm kind of like wrestling with in my head is when I think of low expected returns, the low probably doesn't come as much from just these low returns year over year over year over year. It more so comes from you know a big decline at some point. And that's kind of the second point I want to make, which is I think what the evidence would show is that the really bad bear markets come when you have you know excessive overvaluation and then you go into a recession and the market pulls back. That's when you get something like you know a 50% decline in the market. That can be very painful, not necessarily a shallow uh, bear market. Um, so those are just two sort of points I wanted to add on to, to that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, that's a really good point. And it would be great if we could get, you know, if we could say, all right, expected returns are only 3% and we could just get 3% a year from here on out, that would be great because that would be much easier to endure. But going back to my 1997 example, you know, in 1997, expected future returns for the next decade were low because we were at, a, you know, we were at a cape of 30. But how did we get the, those expected returns? We got them through a huge, massive rally followed by a horrible bear market. So, you know, that that's the type of thing. That's the reason these expected returns are very hard to use in practice because it's great that I'm going to get lower than expected returns, but my emotions and everything as, I, as I'm riding, you know, as I'm reducing my exposure, you know, because the market's overvalued and then I get 20% a year for three years followed by a bear market, you know, it's just too much of a roller coaster. So it's very hard to use these expected returns to do anything other than if, if you're building a retirement model for a client or something like that and you want to say, all right, you know, we're, we're expensive, so maybe I should be a little more conservative in my withdrawal rate. That type of thing can be good. But other than that, it's very, very hard to use these to do anything. One of the other points you had in the notes here is be careful about long-term averages. So what were you trying to get at with that? Yeah, this is uh, we talked to Jim Misterzo about this um, from Research Affiliates in our podcast with him. But the idea is that the the average, you know, you, you can always say, all right, the market average valuation over the over the long term, 80 years, is X, Y, or Z. But it's important to understand that changes. So you know, the the historical cape of the market, I think he said, was something like 17 or 18. But we've been above that basically for the entire last few decades. So what is so the odds are something has changed and the odds are the average is now higher than it has been historically. And so it's just when you're comparing it, when you're thinking about mean reversion back to an average, it's very important to understand what that average is and that that average is somewhat dynamic. I mean, that average can change over time. Obviously, you can make a case that the stock market should probably be more expensive now than it was in, you know, 1920 or something like that. So, you know, that, that's just an important point behind the scenes to keep in mind. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, I'm kind of get, getting off topic a little bit here, but of the dividend yield. Like when you look at the historical dividend yield in, in context of the total return of stocks, so stocks have returned 10% over the very long term, you know, on average, about, let's say, four, maybe even almost 5% of that return is from dividends, but not, dividends were much higher back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s um, than they, you know, have been over the last few decades. So, to your point, it's kind of like you got to be careful when looking at these long-term averages because something can change in the market where either valuations might be higher than normal on average or dividends might be lower than they have historically. So that's something certainly to keep in mind. Um, in terms of the second part of the discussion around, so if we were to look at the market, and again, a lot of these aren't going to be like actionable, but we still do offer this tool on Validio where we can look at the overall market, parts of the market, segments of the market, and see what, you know, what 
the valuation is relative to its historical perspective. And by the way, we go back to 2005 with our market valuation tool. So we're not talking decades and decades of history here, but um, certainly, you know, 15 years is, is, is somewhat valuable, at least in the current context of the market and what's going on. Um, but you sort of went through and you worked through some of the key ratios in that tool and you were um, writing about where they stand in terms of their percentile based on their expensiveness or cheapness. So um, you want to just kind of work through that? Since, since we spent the first half of the podcast talking about how market valuation data is pretty much useless, let's go ahead yeah. and throw some market valuation data out there. Um, that, that seems like the next logical step, right? Um, but yeah, so there were a couple things that sort of stand out. One is obviously what everybody knows, which is that the market is incredibly expensive right now. Um, you know, and again, we're using a median here. So we're, we're looking at sort of the, the middle of the road stock and how expensive the middle of the road stock is. And, you know, one of the interesting things, so just looking at that, um, you know, the P, using the P ratio, we're in the 96th percentile. Using the CAPE, we're in the 92nd percentile. Using the current year estimate of, for earnings, we're in the 90th percentile, and using the price to sales, we're in the 99th percentile, um, which is obviously because profits have been above average, so it looks even worse on sales than it does on anything else. Um, and then on the ca and price to cash flow, we're in the 98th percentile. One of the interesting things that's been going on behind the scenes, though, is that uh, before the coronavirus crisis, you know, going back to that idea I talked about before about how if you're looking at sort of the S&P 500, you're, you're looking at a weighted average. Um, that was the market itself was very, very expensive before the coronavirus, but this average stock was not as expensive. So our approach was not showing as much overvaluation before the coronavirus crisis as sort of the major, you know, market metrics were. Um, but that's now changed. And, and the reason is because obviously there's been this huge run in your average stock. So the, you know, the, the biggest stocks have not been leading the way after the coronavirus crisis. And so now the average stock has gotten a lot more expensive. So now our data is showing the same exact thing as the major averages are showing. So the market cap weighted, you know, look at this is the same as the median now. Everything is very, very expensive. Yep. Yeah. The only thing I want to add to that uh, part is, you know, in the in the numerator of all of those ratios, if earnings do catch up or if sales catch up, if we start to get a booming economy out of this, you know, you could you could find you could see that, you know, maybe those valuations do come down um over time if the market just kind of hangs in here so that's another thing that can happen i mean that would be a positive upside for the market it would allow sort of the earnings and the economic activity to catch up with the market's uh valuation so it'll be interesting to see if that's what plays out or if um it's different yeah no that's really important to keep in mind though because th there are two numbers in all these valuations there are the price and there are whatever's in the denominator and so both the either one of those changing changes the valuation so you're right i mean if we get a huge you know, spike in earnings or cash flows or something like that. I mean, obviously the ratios without the price having to change at all, the ratios will go down. Now, where did you find that there was some value? I think you tried, you know, you can use our tool to look at like relative. So segments of the market relative to other segments of the market. So where is the value relatively speaking right now in today's market, given our tool? Yeah. And so the, the caveat with this is the same as before. You know, this is, again, a very long term thing. So even relative value is not going to tell you anything about what's going to happen in the next one to three years. But I wanted to take a look at value because throughout throughout this period, obviously, because of their underperformance, value stocks have looked the best. You know, they've looked very good against everything else. And so I wanted to look at value now. Um, you know, at, at the bottom of the coronavirus crisis, value was very, very cheap, absolutely, and it was very, very cheap relatively. So relative to growth, it was cheap, but also relative to its own history, it was cheap. 
Um, and so I wanted to revisit that now to see where we are. And, and basically one of those has changed and the other has not changed as much. And so on an absolute basis, value is more expensive, which makes sense. Value has run up a lot. Um, you know, a lot of these value strategies have doubled or, or done more than that since, since the bottom. So value on, a, on an absolute basis is more expensive. So using the PE ratio, it's about the 50th percentile now where it was, you know, in the teens probably before. Um, and using some of the other ones, it's up like price to cash flow. It's up to like the 90th percentile against its own history. So on an absolute basis, value is not as cheap as it was, although it's certainly cheaper than, you know, the, the market as a whole. Um, but then on a relative basis, value mean, is still pretty cheap. Um, you know, looking at, so this is comparing, we consider value the cheapest 20% of our database and we consider growth the most expensive 20%. So looking at the relative valuations of those two groups, um, value is in the fourth percentile on PE ratio, the eighth on CAPE, the eighth on price to sales and the seventh on price to cash flow. So, you know, it was in the 0.1 percentile before the, the spike after the coronavirus, but it still remains, you know, fairly cheap. So maybe that is, you know, although that tells us nothing about the next one to three years, maybe that is some reason for optimism for value investors that uh, value stocks are not that expensive, relatively at least, after they've had this big run. Well, yeah, and I think it it, it kind of, for those investors that sort of belief that, you know, the economy is recovering, you may have higher inflation in the future, um, you know, it's kind of could be better for, you know, old sort of line sort of companies and not necessarily high growth technology stocks, you can kind of use stuff like this to, to some extent, support your thesis. Again, it's not to say we're not advocating like people just start using our market valuation tool and dumping all their growth stocks and going to value. But if you're the type of investor that's looking for relative value in the market, this is a good way to try to uncover, you know, where those areas are in different parts of the market. So yeah, it makes me a little nervous right now because I feel like the story for value is too good. Um, you know, you've got a great economic story with inflation for value and you've also got these, you know, these relative valuations are still pretty good. So, you know, I always worry when everybody's starting to agree with me. I like being a contrarian more. But the only other caveat I would give with that is, you know, it's not it's not the 2000 situation. People love to use 2000 because value did basically value was up while the market had a major bear market. So, and the reason it's not 2000 is what we just talked about, which is in 2000, the absolute and the relative valuations were both very, very low. Right now, the absolute valuations are more expensive. The relative valuations are low. So a situation, you know, where the where value stocks actually go up while the market goes down, that that's probably less likely. You know, what might be more likely if this continues to play out is is relative underperformance or sorry, relative outperformance for value relative to growth. Yeah, good point. So we'll put a link to the market valuation tool, also your article. Um, thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.